What's up, everyone? My name is Michaela Nemhard, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's get ready to hear the word. A little boy wanted a bicycle, but he didn't know how to pray for one. So he was watching the tr- uh, a television church program and a very traditional service appeared on the screen and he watched closely how the pastor prayed. So at the end of the day, he got near his bed, kneeled down and he prayed and he said this, Lord most high, thou art great and majestic. And if it is in thy sovereign will and in thy eternal plan that I can get myself a bicycle in your time and according to thy gracious will, would you please get me a bicycle in Jesus name? I pray. Amen. Two days later, there he was waiting and still no bicycle. So he began to think that he needed a different type of prayer. So he turned on the television again and he found a prosperity preacher. And so at the end of the day, he got near his bed, knelt down and he prayed and he said this, Lord, I declare my need for a bicycle and I declare and claim a nice blue colored bicycle and deliver it to my home within 24 hours. I believe and lay claim to it in Jesus name. Amen. And again, after several days, no bicycle. And so one day as he was passing the hall in his home, he saw a statue of the Virgin Mary on the shelf and he took it. He walked outside of the home, came back. It wasn't there anymore. And later that night, he got down on his knees and he started to pray. And he began, he said, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, and you may laugh at that joke this, this morning and that story, but some of us, that's how our relationship to God may feel like. And today's name of God is actually one of the most misunderstood name that causes many people disappointment, disillusionment, and discouragement. And today we're going to look at Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. And we may be like that little boy trying every prayer and every ritual and going to every pastor to pray and doing everything to convince God to heal us of our sicknesses and still not experiencing the healing we want. So this morning, let's look at this beautiful name of God. Let's begin with prayer. God, we thank you for this moment that we can gather and worship you. And Lord, look into your word, because your word is a, a light and a lamp to our feet, that we may walk in your truth. Speak to us, and may we hear and receive and obey what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning's passage is found in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 26. And here we find Israel had just crossed over the Red Sea and they had gone through a remarkable miracle of God. And they were singing and celebrating and dancing for their newfound freedom. But immediately after their worshiping finished, they traveled about three days towards Mount Sinai and only to find themselves thirsty and dry and parched looking for water. Now it's interesting to know that after great victories, very often, or even after worshipful moments, Trials and temptations suddenly appear. So it's something definitely we should be aware of and prepared for. 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partakers with Christ in his suffering. Now, Peter is exhorting us not to think of the trials we're facing as something strange, but rather something that makes us partners with Christ in his suffering. So essentially, Peter is saying, one, don't be surprised, two, be prepared, three, accept it, and four, pray for unreasonable joy. Because of course, no trial is joyful, is naturally joyful to go through. We need supernatural joy. 
Now, the wilderness was not a place of plentiful water, but rather a place of blistering heat and sand dunes and sandstorms and sand serpents and parched lips. And so when Israel arrived at a place called Marah, they could not drink the water because it says it was bitter. And soon the singers and dancers and the voices that lifted up in praise and to God suddenly became silent. The voice of praise became the voice of complaint. They complained because there was no water at Marah that they could drink. It was found with bitterness. They complained because they were in a discouraging situation and missed what they had in Egypt. They complained because it's part of our human nature to complain, especially when things don't work out the way we want them to. They complained because they realized their expectations far exceeded realities. When our spouse or our kids or our boss or our jobs or finance or health, our church, our pastors, leaders, our parents, siblings, friends, and I can go on and on and on, when they don't meet our expectations, we often complain. And so God was testing his people, not because he didn't know what was in their hearts, but because they didn't know what was in their hearts. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 reads, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. You know, people often say, well, I know what's in my heart. But they forget what Jeremiah 17, 9 says, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Even Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You see, the Lord tests us to encourage us towards spiritual growth, to bring out the best in us. But the devil tempts us to bring the worst in, out in us and to discourage us from spiritual growth, but rather create spiritual immaturity. See, the attitude that we take towards difficulty determines which direction our life will go. And for what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Let me say that again. The attitude that we take towards difficulties determines which direction life will go. And what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. And so if we trust God and obey his word, we'll pass the tests of life and grow. But if through unbelief we complain and disobey the Lord, we're going to fail the test again and again and remain immature. That is why in this passage in Exodus, we see something very interesting. And we're going to look at later when God gives and reveals his name. Prior to that, in Exodus 15, 25, it says, There he made a statute, as he gives this promise, and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. You see, complaining doesn't solve the problems of life. And if we try to run away from a difficult situation, we'll probably meet the same problems in a new place and still not be able to solve them. Because the heart of every problem is the problem of our heart. The heart of every problem that we face is actually rooted in the problem of our heart. I'd like to share a very important truth in how we relate to God. A man of God named A.W. Tozer in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most significant fact about any man or woman is not what he may at any given time may say or do, but what he deep in his heart conceives God to be like. So the question for us this morning is, what comes to your mind when you think about God? We all tend to create this image of God and of others by what we may hear about them or experience in life with them. And so this is something very important, is that we should not interpret God through our circumstances. Rather, interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. 
Be careful not to interpret and understand and create an image of God based on what you and I are going through, our circumstances of life, whether good or bad. But rather, interpret what you're going through, the circumstances of your life, through the filter of God's goodness, His character, His love, and understand who He is. Because you can't control what happens to us, to you and to me. But you can control how you frame it and how you interpret it and how you perceive it. How we imagine and interpret God will determine our relationship with Him and will direct our future. That is why the Names of God series that we've been going through this summer has been so helpful because it helps us to know the character and the nature of God because His name reveals that to us. Now, even though Israel found water, they could not drink it because it was very bitter, which indicates it had become polluted, bacterial infected, and it probably stank with a foul odor. And though Israel complained, Moses cried out to God, and then God showed Moses a tree. And Moses cast that tree into the waters, and it was made sweet. Now, here's an interesting but also comforting truth to learn from this. Do you know that God already prepared the tree years before they arrived? Because the tree didn't just just show up miraculously. It would have taken years for that tree to grow. So do you know that God is preparing uh, preparing things now for your future? And God has already prepared what you need today years back. We just need to ask Him, receive it, and seek Him. Because God is a God that works. He prepares. And as we trust Him to lead us and guide us, we can find confidence in His faithfulness. Now, the text does not tell us what kind of tree or the quality of the tree that caused the bitter uh, water to become sweet. But some Jewish rabbinic literature that offers commentary and interpretation suggests that these writings, whatever kind of tree it was, says that wood was probably bitter. So God used bitter wood mixed with bitter water to make sweet water. Now, it's a reminder to us that God doesn't work like us, and it doesn't make sense. In our understanding, bitter mixed with bitter should equal bitter. But with God, bitter wood mixed with bitter water results in clean drinking water. In verse 26, informs us that after this miracle at Marah, God revealed himself to Moses and the children of Israel as Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that heals you. God used the bitter water to teach his people a lesson that he is our healer. They would have died of thirst, but through this miracle, God healed them from certain death. In verse 26, we see God ties healing to walking in accordance with statutes and commandments. In verse 25, also just prior to that, we already read how God tested them by making the statute an ordinance. Then in verse 26, it says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heal- who heals you. You see, the Egyptians didn't seek God, the one true God. Rather, they sought idols, resulting in the ten plagues. And so these four conditions we read, and then a promise. First is, if you will diligently hearken, it's literally saying, if you will really listen to what I, your God, have to say, and do what is right in His eyes, which is naturally to say, do what He considers is right. Not what we consider is right, what He considers is right. Third, give heed to His commandments. Literally means pay attention to His commandments. And fourth, keep all His statues. Guard all His statues. Pay attention what God is teaching us and do it. And the promise now is stated actually in negative terms. I will put none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians. Literally, God is saying, all the sicknesses which I put on the Egyptians, 
I will not put on you. Here he's obviously referring to the plagues that came by God upon and afflicted the Egyptians, the ten plagues that uh, helped them to find deliverance from Egypt. Therefore, God is saying, I will not make you suffer as the Egyptians did. Now, God is not talking about the sicknesses that may come with old age and pollutants of the air and food. It's a sickness that comes from rebellion against his ways and his commandments. And perhaps the lesson that God is teaching his people in Mara is is basically saying this. If you will follow my instructions, I will heal your bodies, your emotions, your relationships and circumstances. But if you choose to walk in the ways of the world, which is like Egypt, a place of bondage and captivity, then you will not be immune to the world's diseases. Now, the essence of God's character as Jehovah Rapha, as the Lord, our healer, is not a guarantee that we will never get sick or we will be immune from disease. Suffering invades and infects us in so many ways, whether it's through pain or disease or failure, anxiety, disappointment, family breakdown and relational trauma, abuse and influence of demonic forces or death. We're all part of a dysfunctional world due to the effects of sin. Even creation is groaning and crying and longing for freedom and liberation. We read in scripture at times that God miraculously heals people or does some extraordinary event of liberation. So we may come to expect that it would happen every single time. So can God heal us? Yes. Will God heal us? Yes. And that is ultimately the result and the guarantee of the resurrection. The resurrection promises us complete healing, deliverance, freedom, and new life. However, will God heal us in this life now? The answer to that question is a matter of timing and purpose. And so it's actually a maybe. God may say at times, yes. And God may say no. And at times, God may say, wait. Regardless of his answer, we must accept his will. Ask God to use our pain, our weakness, our brokenness to bring him glory and to produce an unnatural joy in us. Some of you may be aware, and thank you for those who were aware and were praying. You know, last September I was pumping uh, my daughter's bicycle. And as I was pumping, I was in an awkward position. As soon as I got up, I felt immediate pain in my, my back. And I thought it would go after a few hours and it didn't go. And I thought maybe a few days and it still didn't go. And so after a few months, actually my leg, my left leg started to form numbness all the way to my feet and half my foot all the way up my left leg uh, became numb. And I sought different treatments and, um, you know, I'm thankful for many who prayed. And after months, it still remained. And that constant pain and numbing still remained. And, and even till today, that, that numbing still remains. I remember sending um, scans and x-rays to a cousin of mine who's a, a spinal surgeon and one thing he said really struck me, he, he said, the numbing may never go. And that hit me very hard and that really shocked me. And I remember just praying and asking God and still haven't experienced. Now it's gotten much better, but haven't completely experienced that healing. And, and with two young kids, it's often challenging because they want their daddy to lift them and carry them and do lots of activities with them. But I've come to realize and trust that whether God heals or not, my attitude should remain of trust and belief and joy that God is there. And whether he chooses to completely heal or not, I will trust and keep that attitude, a positive attitude of trust and faith in him. And so there are times in life we may not experience the healing we want. 
or even the time we want. But God heals us and he chooses through his sovereignty for his purpose and in his glory. Now, there are three reasons we see in why healing occurred in Scripture. One, the first is for his glory. That his name is magnified and character revealed for others to come to know him. So God heals for his purpose, for his glory, that others would see his power demonstrated through miraculous healings, that they would know who Jesus Christ is. Second, for membership. During the ministry of Jesus, many of his mighty healings could be tied to the restoration of the membership of people who were ostracized or cut off from the community because of sickness. In the scriptures, we read of people who would not be able to partake of uh, worship and community life because they had illness. And so when God healed them, they were now brought back into community and fellowship with the others to be brought into the family of God. And so healing was not only an inauguration of new creation, it was the welcoming of those who were outside of the community. Jews and Gentiles alike to bring them as part of the new community and new family, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God and the family of God. And the third, it's uh, healing occurs as a foretaste of new creation. The work of healing is actually a signpost pointing to the way of new creation, when God will heal and restore. It's an event that happens and occurs in the present that points to a future reality. So when someone is healed now, it's actually pointing to a time in new creation when there will no be, be no more sickness and God will heal all things. That's why John writes in Revelation 21, verse 3, he says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. One day there will be no more sickness and pain and disease and death, so not only is healing a signpost, it actually is a little bit of new creation coming to meet us now in the present. It gives us a foretaste of what reality will be like. You see, when we're healed, it's not only for the comfort of our own body that we feel relief, but it shows to others, especially people who don't believe in God, of a future reality, a future life where sin and sickness and death will be eliminated, will be no more. We will receive new resurrected bodies. Now, isn't that exciting? And so as Jehovah Rapha, he heals us to point us to a future reality. Now, God as Rapha throughout the Old Testament can be seen in three distinct ways. He heals physically, he heals emotionally, and he heals spiritually. While physical healing is important in this present life, it appears that God's primary uh, purpose or agenda is spiritual healing and emotional healing. Now, it's, imp it's important to know that the people Jesus physically healed or raised from the dead eventually died. So whether God decides to heal or not, it's according to what he sovereignly chooses. And there have been many godly women and men who have struggled with illness and never saw healing in their bodies. Such one is a, a, a lady named Annie Johnson Flint. She was born in New Jersey, and when her parents died, she was just five years old. She and her sister lived for two unhappy years with a widow who had two children of her own and was in, with limited income. Then a childless couple known as the Flints adopted her and her sister, and they deeply loved Jesus, and they deeply loved the girls. And Annie received Jesus as her Savior around the age of eight. She grew up and taught school for three years until severe rheumatoid arthritis made it no longer possible. And within two additional years, she was unable to walk. She moved to Clifton Springs, New York, in hope of finding a cure, but instead she had to give up her dreams of being a concert pianist and lived in constant writhing pain. 
and she had twisted arms and bodies. And near the end of her life, cancer started to eat inside of her and her vision was lost. And she was suffering from incontinence and had to wear diapers. And Annie sought always to uh, everything with her Lord. And after nearly 50 years of suffering, she submitted to him. And her last words were, it's all right. It's all right. A life of unanswered questions. She penned this beautiful hymn. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, has multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, he giveth, and he giveth again. And whatever you and I are going through in life, his grace is sufficient and he gives and he gives and he gives. You see, the reason the early church was willing to face horrific persecution and torture and painful martyrdom is because they knew of their God and they trusted in the promise of resurrection and eternal life. And today, if you're struggling with a physical infirmity or illness, I want to encourage you to surrender and believe a God that can heal and trust in him to decide in his sovereignty what's best for you and for me for his glory. So whether it's complete healing or grace or joy to endure the difficulty and hardships, we are called to trust God. The Hebrew word in the text for Rapha means to mend as a garment, to amend or repair as a building is reconstructed or to cure as a diseased person is restored. What God was trying to teach them was even though he made the bitter water sweet and that healing was there as they hearkened to his voice and that they would do that which was right in his sight. But out of all the bitter waters and all what they experienced, God was asking and hoping that they would trust him. And we can see, but all of us, we have these bitter waters in our lives spiritually. The waters of our soul have become polluted and contaminated and made bitter due to sin. And so what is the solution to the bitter waters? It's a tree. It's called the cross. This tree at Mara symbolizes the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary, which transformed the bitter waters of sin into the sweet waters of God's redemption and healing, deliverance and eternal life. Our healing, spiritual, emotional, physical, are related to what Jesus accomplished at the cross. So the tree that Moses threw in the waters and made sweet points to the bitterness of his crucifixion. It was a horrible event at the cross. That was a very bitter experience. Mixed with the bitterness of our human sin has given us the sweetness of God's salvation. Isaiah 53 verse 5 reminds us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. I'd like to demonstrate the, the transforming power, the healing power of God in our lives. And I have here a, a demonstration, three cups, uh, a cup that represents Jesus, us or me, and sin. And due to sin, when sin entered the world, it fractured our lives. It, 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 it caused us to live with this bitterness of soul. And so I'm going to put this liquid here, and you can see now that sin has infected our lives. But through the cross, as Moses cast that 
tree into the waters. And even as Jesus died and the cross of Jesus uh, has made a way for us to experience healing and cleansing and forgiveness and deliverance and healing and eternal life and the promise of resurrection, we see here Jesus now comes into our lives when we invite him into our lives and he's able to make that bitter water to disappear, to make us clean, to make us whole. And the amazing thing is through the power of Jesus that sin one day will be destroyed and sin has no power over God because God has destroyed the work of sin and one day as we've read, he will eliminate all sin, sickness, disease, death, all the power of evil, every work of the enemy will be destroyed ultimately and eradicated because of the power of God. And so when sin tries to affect who God is, it doesn't affect who God is because God has now destroyed the work of sin and the power of sin and sin will ultimately be no more. How many are thankful this morning for the power of Jesus, for the power of his blood, for the power of resurrection that gives us healing and life? You see, the cross heals us from the sickness of sin. The cross heals us from the diseases of pride and lust and greed and hate and prejudice. The cross heals us from the disease of idolatry and hatred and contention and selfish ambition and jealousies. The cross heals us from the diseases of sexual sins and murders and divisions. The cross heals us from the guilt that's produced by sin. The cross can heal a broken in heart and bind up our wounds. The cross can give recovery of sight both physically and those who become blinded by sin. The cross invites us to repent of our sins and can heal even this nation. You see, the biggest problem we have in our society today and the root of all of our problems is the problem of sin. And we can drink from sin, but it is bitter water to our taste and ultimately leads to death. Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, verse 13 into 14, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, that bitter water. Whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never thirst again, for out of them will flow waters of eternal or everlasting life. You know, we heard last week about God being shalom. Shalom means peace, but the deeper meaning of peace is completeness and wholeness. You see, when sin entered the world, it fractured our relationship with God. It fractured the relationship between heaven and earth. It fractured our relationship with each other. And it fractured who we are as humanity, as humans. And through the cross, Jesus wants to bring shalom, shalom and wholeness back to the world, back to us, back to our relationships. God as our healers working through a process of putting the pieces of life back together, pointing towards wholeness and peace and he wants to bring the fragmentation in our lives and in our marriages in our relationships and in creation together and maybe there's some sin in our lives that has fragmented our minds and our hearts and God is here as our healer to bring us to shalom now healing is often a process now God can instantly heal but most often it's a process God can also use various methods and people to bring about healing he can use doctors and medicines as instruments to bring physical healing. He can use people such as pastors, counselors, therapists, and help us to help us bring spiritual or emotional healing through counseling, spiritual direction, and prayer. You see, the purpose of God being Rapha is to bring us to shalom. The Lord can bring healing to every aspect of our life. He can heal us emotionally. He can heal a person who's, who has bitterness and envy and pride. He can deliver a person from anger and unforgiveness. He can heal our stress. He can heal and deliver us from the spiritual bondages and demonic forces. He can bring healing to our relationships and our marriages. He can heal your mind. He can heal your body. And he can heal 
our land. How many can say amen today? Now, sometime, take some time quietly, even today or even through this week, and allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and our minds and our motives and our actions and our emotions and see if there is any wicked way or bitter water within us. As the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my way and see if there be any evil way in me. If he brings anything to our minds, confess and repent and begin to walk in obedience to God's word and allow him to turn the bitter waters to pure, sweet waters. So how can we get to this place that we can walk and allow Jehovah Rapha to bring us to a place of shalom? There are two words I'd like to leave us with. It's found in Psalm 37, verse 5. It says, commit your ways to the Lord and trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. Two words in specific order. Commit. This is an act required of us. You see, we often say my way is my way of life. I do certain things my way and I want to do it my way. Because I believe this is the right way. But what God is asking us is to commit our ways to him. It's an act of surrender, of doing things the way God wants us. And so this morning, will you commit or surrender your life, your circumstance, your body, your sickness, your, your emotions, your heart, your mind to God. And the second, trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. This is an attitude of genuine commitment. I've committed my ways to the Lord and I trust him. Now think about your bank account. Once we commit our money to the bank to be deposited, when you deposit your money or whether it's electronically or when you physically go to a bank and deposit money, you don't worry at night whether the money's in the account. You've committed it, and you trust, and you rest. And this morning, God wants us to know him as our healer. And this will require a commitment to trust him, to surrender, because he knows what we need more than we do. Surely he can heal our physical ailments if he chooses. But the primary purpose of this text that God is pointing towards is that we would walk in his ways, not in the ways of the world that leads to a sin-sick soul, And when our sin-sick soul is all messed up, it causes our minds to be messed up, our emotional life far from being healthy, we become fragmented. And so God is asking us to commit. Remember what Jesus did on the cross in that agonizing moment. He prayed and ultimately the last words when he was experiencing pain and separation and death, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my soul. I commit my life. And then there's an aspect of trust and rest. Trust God with your body, trust God with your heart, trust God with your mind, and trust God with your your soul. You see, if God chooses to heal your body and allow you to experience a little glimpse of new creation, then praise God for it. Like we've witnessed and we've heard the miraculous healing story of Kevin and Shekinah's beautiful twins, a remarkable healing story of God miraculously intervening when there seemed to be no hope and death was certain. God intervened through so many means, through the medical means, through prayer, through his divine intervention to bring about a miraculous healing. But also realize that through his spirit, he wants to heal the fragmentation in our minds due to the lies of the enemy. He wants to heal the fragmentation in our hearts and our relationships and our emotions. You see, sin fragments and God wants to bring us to a wholeness. As I close this morning, I'd like to, to share a story in about our own family. It was the summer of 1993, 30 years ago. As a family, we traveled to Australia to visit our, a lot of our immediate family there. 
And during the trip, the Lord was speaking to my dad about a calling and a purpose for his life. But he shared after how there was a time that God was inviting him to do something there, an act of obedience, but he held back and he didn't do it. And so when he came back, uh, within a few weeks after returning, suddenly he started to notice that he was losing vision in his right eye. And he went and he found that ultimately he lost complete vision in his right eye. His central vein had collapsed. And he went from doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist, and all of them said, there's nothing you can do. Most likely you're going to lose sight in the other eye. And if, if your eyes are like this, who knows what else is wrong within your body. And so he prayed and he realized there was no medical intervention possible for this. He prayed and he was just seeking God. And one night, the Lord visited him and gave him a song, a very old song, said, Oh, he touched me. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and he made me whole. So when he woke up with that song, he called everyone and said, Oh, God, God healed him. And he believed God was, you know, healed him from his, his illness and from the, the inability to see with his right eye. But still nothing happened. Later on, he came to realize what God was beginning was a work of emotional and spiritual healing in his life. And then November 1st, 1993, he invited a pastor. He was visiting and he was just sharing from the scriptures. And that evening, God divinely came and a divine visitation for my entire family, brother and I and my mom and dad. We were there in a supernatural encounter. We all experienced God. And I believe on that day forward, God was working in all of our lives, and particularly my dad's life, where he experienced that spiritual healing that ultimately, within a few months, without even him realizing, he could see again. And his eye was completely healed. It was a miraculous healing. And it's interesting, the year later, in 94, we went out to England and to visit family, and his, dad, his brother, who's a, who's a doctor, wanted to check and see. He couldn't believe uh, what happened to his eye. And he checked his eye, and he actually found that the eye that was damaged and healed was actually better than his other eye. Praise God. God can heal, but he also not only heals physically, but he wants to do a work of healing spiritually, emotionally, in our hearts, in our lives, to draw us to him and to his purpose. And so do you more, this morning, do you believe that God is your healer? That he's here today to heal you, that he is here to heal your heart, your mind, and your body, and so will you commit to him and will you trust and will you say, I believe, Lord, you're my healer. We all have things in our lives we need healing from. We have relationships we need healing. We have in our mind, in our heart, because sin pervades our whole society and our lives. It encounters the enemy constantly comes to bring lies into our minds, to doubt God's love, to doubt God's purpose, to bring confusion and misunderstanding in our lives, to hold us in bitterness and captivity based on what maybe someone has done to us or what may be occurring in our lives or the lives we believe. But God wants to bring healing this morning to you and to me if you will receive it. And so if you would join with me and saying this prayer that's on the screen and, and verbalize it together. Would you join with me as we pray? Loving Father, touch me now with your healing hands. May your will be done in my mind, body, soul, and spirit. I commit my life to you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There, you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, 
If you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. All right, I pray you're blessed by the word and we'll see you next week.